There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Hey, I must admit that uh, I was ready for the weekend to end and it to be Monday. Not because I didn't have a great weekend. I had an amazing weekend. I really did. But I had an experience which I always like to share with my listeners. Because I don't know if you have similar experiences and you just don't have a place you can vent about them. I do. You know, I don't have to pay a therapist. I get to tell you what's bothering me. And it just, it's a good thing to get it out. And one thing is not bothering me was the fact that we decided this weekend that we were going to see some of these Oscar-nominated films. And we're very fortunate because the community in which I live gets first-run movies and they have a beautiful theater, and it's two bucks, you know, so you just can't um, possibly turn away. And they've had all the first-run movies, all the Oscar-nominated movies. I, I don't know if they had the everything you ever knew about everybody or whatever that movie is that's got the most nominations. But last night, they had the movie Banshees of the Isheron, and... I didn't know what to expect, really. I knew Colin Farrell was in it, and I really like his acting. Uh, I, I think he's a, you know, I always thought he was a great actor. After this movie last night, he's brilliant. I mean, he is a brilliant actor. And when I go to the movies, for me, it's the suspension of disbelief, okay? I do not want, it doesn't have to be realistic or anything like that. It just has to be, I don't know, it just has to be amazing. I, it has to transport me to another place. This movie absolutely did that. He's an Irish actor. Um, we had subtitles when we saw the movie, and I would say that that really helped. You know, it just made it easier because sometimes that Irish brogue, especially on the, uh, the, the little islands that surround the island, like, like this one, in, in a Sharon, I guess is the right way to say it, um, the, the brogue was, could be difficult. And some of the expressions, you know, like, are you in a row? I didn't realize until they said it about the fourth time that that meant are you having a fight or an argument. So it was like kind of interesting um, having to pay careful attention, you know, and I did. And all I can tell you is it was a truly dark film, very emotionally um, painful in many ways. I don't know what it brings up in other people, but I know that you know that it it brought up some interesting emotions in me first and foremost the movie has some real funny parts 
but the movie's sad. You know, it's just, it's um, Martin McDonough directed it. I think he wrote the screenplay as well. I think it's a very strong contender for Best Picture. It's about the story of these, um, the friendship between these two men. And it's in a very small scale. Um, but it absolutely, you know, it was, it was haunting. It was haunting. And I would see it again. Um, because it was that, the acting was that superb. Not just Colin Farrell, who was definitely hands down. I have, I've seen a few of the other films and none of them had a male lead that was Academy Award uh, caliber. This one, is, well, you know, I don't think Tom Cruise is going to get it. So if we exclude Tom Cruise, and I would, I would say Colin Farrell did a much better job as Parrick than Tom Cruise playing Tom Cruise, basically. Um, but the other guy, the guy who played Calm is a guy named Brandon Gleason. And I have no idea who this guy is. He looked very familiar. Um, he was a, he's a nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And even if Colin Farrell doesn't get it, I bet this Brandon Gleason does. And there were some moments in this film that were absolutely, um, they just struck something inside of me, a chord inside of me, because everybody's families have some stuff going on and everybody's friend circle has stuff going on. And this was one of those moments where the two people that were featured prominently, you couldn't quite figure out what had happened. You know, how did this happen? How did these two good friends, you know, have this uh, fall out? And it was really only one person who fell out, the uh, Brandon Gleason character, Calm. And this is a guy who in the past, I've only seen him play gangsters, I think. And here he is, he, well, I can't, I can't tell you the story, but I strongly recommend you see this because it was very, 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 you know, intense. This guy, Barry Kean, who plays a, uh, a kind of, I don't know how you would describe him, uh, kind of a naive and maybe slightly, uh, you know, mentally handicapped young man. And uh, I've seen him before as well. Um, and also just a phenomenal, phenomenal job. But when you really get right down to it, um, the, the theme of the movie for me was, is, are you or are you not one of life's good guys? And especially for those who've ever had an experience of being a good guy some of the times and a mean drunk, right? Because that's prominent in, in this story. And I have to tell you, I, I was, it was a little um, theatrical, very small cast, Beautiful setting, but I don't think they did a great job with the cinematography. I really was kind of disappointed because, you know, Inisharan and, and, and Ireland in and of itself are beautiful places. And I would have liked to have seen more of the countryside. They really stuck with like three or four scenes of the countryside. But other than that, it was definitely worth seeing. The other movie that we happened to have seen this weekend, I could not watch 
after, I probably watched the first 40 minutes, 35 minutes, something like that. And then I just looked at my husband and I said, I'm really not enjoying this movie. And I said something which I, you know, I have come to regret because he'll never let me live it down now. But I said, this is so intellectual and elitist that I, I no longer can relate to this kind of stuff. I used to love these movies, these, you know, sort of independent movies that are full of like profundities and the conversation is all deep and profound. The movie was called Tar. And it's the story of a female um, conductor. And I, you know, I didn't know anything about tar going into it. I still don't know if I know anything about tar, but apparently tar, besides being one of the most gifted female conductors in the world, um, was also um, a lesbian married to a woman, had a child, and, and, and everything just kept getting like twisted up around that. And I really never got to like, well, but who is this artist? You know, this incredible artist. And they kept minimizing her artistic ability. Like she was in an interview with some television station and, and she minimized herself. And then everybody around her seemed to just sort of, you know, uh, placate her and not, not really hold her feet to the fire and, and explain what it was about her artistry that was so incredible. And, and instead, they chose to focus on these, like, relationship things. And I just, I sat there, and after 35, 40 minutes, I t said to my husband, that one we happened to have, was available on the, one of the streaming services, so we didn't have to go out for that one. But I just got up and walked out of the room. And I thought, he's, there's no way he's going to watch this movie, because this is, like, just not his cup of tea. And he hung in for another 15 or 20 minutes, and then I heard the click, you know, and he was off to the Vikings or whatever, not Vikings, the f game, but he likes Vikings and, and World War II documentaries and things of that nature. And I started hearing shouting and shooting, so I knew he was out of uh, tar. But so different, and both movies are nominated for a bunch of awards, um, but they were so different, and my experience was so different. I could much more relate to the to the characters and the time period of Tar than I could to the characters and time period of uh, in uh, Banshees of Inisherin, and yet, fantastic acting and a great story wins me every single time. When I was young, we used to say we were going to the pictures. That's what we called the movies. That really dates me, and. I used to say, give me a great story and at least one superb uh, performance by an actor or an actress, and give me a character that is sympathetic, a character that I can not just, you know, maybe not relate to, but um, fi find fascinating. And I got that in this Banshees movie with that tiny little cast. I had like two or three characters, four characters that I was totally enthralled by. Four, five, if you count the crazy ghoul. And I'm just, I watched it and I thought this, it's still all about really great acting and a really important story. Doesn't have to be a, a, a story of, you know, the IRA fighting with the, you know, the, the British or anything like that. It just has to be a story about people and their emotions and the way they get through life or the way they don't get through life and the length to which they'll go to prove a point. 
that's a great storyline. As as Shakespeare said, you know, every story is the same. It's just how you tell it. Well, he didn't say it like that, but I just did. And so Tar, on the other hand, which should have been a rich and 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 a, a deep dive into this character, ended up trying to cover too many you know too many politically important and politically correct uh, concepts and subjects and like. I don't care, you know, I, I, I can read all about it. I know all about it, I really do. You know, the challenges of being a woman, the challenges of being gay, the challenges of being a parent, the challenge, the da, 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 you know, okay. But show me one character and make me feel something about that character, either love him or hate him. You know, it took me like the entire movie of Banshees to realize I didn't hate the character of Calm. In fact, I identified more with him than I did with the character of Parak and, and, and the sister and, and, and the very sad um, little character of, of um, Dominic, you know. Uh, so, and, and I hated the father, the cop, and I hated the ghoul. So, I mean, I was involved in the storyline. And, you know, when I used to go to the pictures, it could, the whole picture could take place in like one house but if the characters were rich and the acting was superb and I was transported into their lives it was a great picture but if not if I'm thinking about getting popcorn or I'm thinking about you know uh, whatever you know what's on my grocery list or what I didn't do with the laundry that's still piled up it's not a good movie to me it's not a good picture you know, and I can tell you all the great pictures of my time. Um, you know, if I had to put a list together, it would be very easy for me. I've not, you know, I've not loved that many pictures, movies. Can't use that term. I'm just, you know, all the, uh, uh, um, <laughs> what do they call them, the consultants. If they listen to tapes of my show, they're going, oh, you use those very dated terms that tell everybody how old you are. Don't do that. Why not? I mean, I'm not hiding my age, and I'm not pretending that I had an experience other than I had. I was born in the 50s. I grew up in the 60s. I became an adult in the 70s. You know, that's my truth. And so we went to the pictures. We didn't go to the movies. And we went to the pictures when I was a kid from noon until 6 o'clock at night. We got to see, like, multiple features and cartoons and everything. For like a quarter. Oh, no, I shouldn't say that. That really dates me. Anyway, let me take a break. Don't forget to download our app. And don't forget that we have all kinds of contests. We have contests at News Talk 850. That's 850WFTL.com. And you can get rewarded when you listen on your mobile app. Uh, we have tickets we're giving away to the Duncan Theater for the next couple of days to see Staying Alive. Um, we have tickets and restaurant, all kinds of stuff. Just go to the website, 850WFTL.com, and download the app on your app store. It's 850WFTL. You can listen to my new podcast. It will drop this afternoon, and I'm talking about a lot of different stuff, including should 16-year-olds uh, be allowed to vote? 
I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right. Uh, welcome back. Um, you know, I, 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 in part of my No Restraint podcast, which I completed this morning, and hopefully Brenda will be able to get it up today or tomorrow, um, so part of it is about this, you know, crazy Ayanna Presley and Seth Moulton, all these Massachusetts liberals that want to reduce the voting age to 16. You know, and, and as I say in my podcast, um, I have a 16, well, my grandson will be 16 th- th- in February. So he's 16 for all intents and purposes, my grandson, Dayon. Uh, and I would not allow him to pick out a restaurant to eat in because he's got very limited um, knowledge. You know, if I say, Dayon, where should we eat tonight? It'll be like, you know, checkers. It's not going to be anything good. Not that checkers isn't good. It's just not my cup of tea. Um, If I ask Dayon, you know, what movie should we go see? He will pick a superhero movie every time. And I get that. I enjoy a good superhero movie. And when he was little, it was Ninja Turtles. And, you know, he was a kid. He was a kid. Now it's probably Avatar and it might be, you know, whatever Avengers kind of, uh, you know, superhero movies out. But I don't ask him thinking that I'm going to really enjoy this film. I ask him thinking I want him to enjoy the film. I want to be there with him so that he remembers when he's an adult that like, yeah, you know, Bubby used to take me to the movies and she let me see the movies I wanted to see. So I have selfish motives, right? But let him vote. When Dayon asks me a question of a political nature, it's so obvious to me that what limited exposure he has to any news stories is a direct uh, result of whatever he's overheard his mother say who is like an MSLSD watcher and who really, you know, her, her depth of knowledge on politics is limited. She's not interested. Therefore, she does the rah-rah liberal stuff, as most young people do, okay? So when he asks me questions and I give him answers, I try to open up his mind, make him aware of different opinions. Not every opinion is uh, Steve Harvey's or Ricky Smiley's, you know, that there is other ideas out there and he ought to contemplate them and decide which one he finds, uh, you know, more realistic or more, well, that he understands. So that's the depth of knowledge he would apply to voting, okay? He could no more walk into his uh, middle school, well, high school classroom now and say, hey, I voted for Ron DeSantis. He'd be, you know, he'd probably get, uh, you know, beat up. I don't know what would happen. So he, he, he can't be that open-minded. His peer pressure is enormous, okay? He's trying to figure out how to navigate the world of boys and girls, how to navigate the world of guys and sports and running track and uh, playing b-ball and all that. You know, he is not going to go against the predominant prevailing attitude of 16-year-olds, okay? We can forget that. The reason Ayanna Presley and all those people want 16-year-olds to vote is because they'll all vote for Democrats. That's all they hear. 
you know, if they turn on, uh, you know, Ricky Smiley or Steve uh, Harvey or whatever they listen to. I don't even know anymore. But if they turn on those shows or Charlemagne the God, they're going to get pretty straight up uh, Democratic talking points, and that's fine. But they're too young to be able to discern the truth. That's all. So I don't, uh, I don't think he's ready to vote by any stretch of the imagination. That doesn't mean I haven't met 16-year-olds who were. I was an activist at 16. I knew politics. I probably knew you know, more than I should have known, got involved in a lot of campaigns. So I, I, I definitely think that there are 16-year-olds who express a great deal of interest in such things and should be encouraged. But the average 16-year-old, get out of here. I, like I said... I would not let him pick out wallpaper, which can come down if it's ugly. So I'm really not going to let him pick the governor or the president. Just my just my thoughts. You'll hear it more if you listen to the No Restraint podcast. The other thing I talk about is all of this um, why, according to some doctors, why people just, just don't trust any of the health information they're getting, particularly when it comes to COVID. And I'm one of them. You know, trust is a very hard thing to gain back once you've lost it. And the CDC and the NIH and the Anthony Fauci's of the world trashed any faith I had, not to mention uh, members of Congress, any faith I might have had in believing that the Health and Human Services was interested in what was best for me or that the FDA was not in cahoots with Big Pharma. Any thought I ever had that that was not you know, that was not true, have been dashed. They destroyed their own credibility. And so I talk about that. You know, I don't know what the truth is. You know, the hashtag died suddenly was, you know, just going crazy on a number of things. And they go, oh, it's conspiracy theories and don't pay any attention. And, you know, the, the, the proof that we're not being given all the information about anything couldn't be any clearer then try to watch the videotape from Project Veritas, if you can find it, okay? It's been stripped. The articles about it have been stripped. If you, look, I, um, I read the Epic Times. I actually you know, paid for a subscription because I, I think they have some excellent uh, feature stories and great columnists. And they give a lot of news, particularly news from other parts of the world. The whole world is not America, and I know that. So I read the Epic Times. And, uh, and they had a couple of articles from Thursday on about the Project Veritas video and the pharma executive from Pfizer who basically laid it all out and said, yeah, you know, we were doing what I would deem gain-of-function research. We were messing around with these mRNA vaccines and trying to find these variants so that we would come up with a cure. And I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, like, what? Did he really just say that? So I'm trying to double-check when it for the story first broke, and Epic Times had a headline. You know, Pfizer uh, uh, scientist admits blah, blah, blah. I click on the link. It just disappears. Nothing. Doesn't take me to Epic Times. Doesn't take me to the story, for sure. Okay, so I say, well, maybe my computer is, you know, on the blink. So I walk into another room where I have an iPad, and I do the same thing. I go to the Epic Times, and I click on the story um, about the Project Veritas video. Zoop, gone. I don't know how they do that. 
but they did it. They did it because I, I tried to get the story and couldn't. And then I said, well, let me go see where I can find the video because I wasn't going to go to the Project Veritas site. I said, let me see. I'm sure everyone has posted it, right? I was you know, going to put it up myself. I ended up putting like kind of a version of it on Friday, but not the one I wanted. Why? Because every time I'd click on that link, it would go bloop. So I don't trust the social media platforms. I don't trust the FDA. I don't trust Big Pharma. I don't trust my government. I don't trust the scientific community anymore. I certainly don't trust the Department of Defense and the Department of Homeland Security. So I'm a girl without a country, or at least I'm a girl who doesn't recognize her country anymore. And if you wanna know why, if the government ever had the presence of mind or the decency, or the dignity, to ask people like me why, I would tell them. Because you lied so often and so much, and you deleted information because you didn't want me to see it. Therefore, you have lost my trust forever. I don't know if it can be redeemed. I really don't. Which is why I say I feel like a girl without a country. Because if I can't trust any of those, then what am I a citizen of? You know, I got a border that's wide open. I've got uh, representatives in Congress who out loud tell me how much they despise my country. I've got people standing in, in protest lines in the street talking about, again, defunding the police because of the incident which nobody has defended. I have not heard a, a, a police officer defended. I haven't heard a police chief defended. All five officers were fired. Uh, they're, go they're charged with uh, manslaughter. I mean, you know, the system is working as good as this stupid system can work, right? And yet, we had protests all over the country over the weekend, defund the police again. Here we go. How has this worked out, this defund the police movement? Has it made communities safer? I haven't noticed that. Still got terrible crime in lots of major cities. And, uh, you know, as I said before, nobody's going to defend what these guys did. <coughs> but all we can hope to do is remedy it, right? And how do we remedy it? We have a court system which used to work. We're not so sure it works anymore. People don't even trust that. I saw people out on the street in in far off places, not Memphis, but in all over the country, screaming, you know, uh, justice for Tyree. Okay, well, well, how are we going to get justice if you don't trust the judicial system? And they don't trust the judicial system. They had signs, defund the police, defund, you know, uh, stop incarcerating people. I, I don't know. They, if they're okay with incarcerating the five police officers, they're just not okay with incarcerating anybody else. I, I, I can't make sense of any of it. It just doesn't feel like a country I'm really that eager to uh, you know, clap my hands for anymore. And while I still think it's the best of what's left, it sure ain't what I grew up in. And it's sure difficult for me to think that I'll ever be able to regain trust in the media, in my government, in the scientific community, and even in you know, even in the church community. Because what I see going on in churches, and of course, my husband's the pastor of a church, which I co-pastor with him, 
and 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 what I see going on in other churches all around this country and maybe all around the world, yeah, definitely all around the world, is despicable. No wonder people don't want to go to church. No wonder people don't trust their churches. People don't want to see pastors ri riding around in airplanes, multiple airplanes. People don't want to see, you know, mega ministries that if a congregate, a person inside the ministry has some needs, they are told to, you know, go to the government. People, people have lost their confidence in just about every major institution. And it wasn't like that when I was growing up, I can tell you that. Anyway, let me take a break. I will be right back. So I saw, you know, another, I, I read everything there is about the, the vaccine and the side effects and the people who, you know, just, they just obsessed with telling me that, uh, you know, there's much ado about nothing. And I, I did, I tried to do a podcast where I was very open-minded and talked with, do, you know, uh, spoke about doctors who felt that, you know, vaccines, vaccine use in appropriate situations is important. Um, but agree that the information that we've been given and the lack of information, the lack of transparency, has really altered the way we see things. And so th I don't watch the MSLSD at all, but there's a weekend host on there called Yasmin Vusayin, and she hasn't been on in a while. And Alex Berenson had said, well, you know, she doesn't eat meat, she doesn't smoke, she practices yoga, and until... She had a health scare recently. She runs seven miles a day, three to four times a week. Um, she's in perfect shape. And then late December, she had mysterious aches in her chest for 10 days, culminating in chest and shoulder pain so severe that she wound up in an emergency room where she was diagnosed with pericarditis, which was severe enough that she needed a procedure to drain the fluid from the sac around her heart. She was held for four nights before being discharged. But three days after that, she felt a butterfly in her heart, or less poetically, an arrhythmia, and was hospitalized again with myocarditis for five more nights and was given a battery of tests before being released. Even Dr. Rochelle Walensky would not call a case of myocarditis that required nine days of hospitalization mild. So what caused her serious illness, her sudden serious illness? Well, nobody mentioned Pfizer, nobody mentioned mRNA, nobody mentioned SpikeVax or BNT162BT. Now, we don't know if she got the vaccine, but she did do segment after segment talking about, you know, with the most hysterical vaccine people around, talking about how anybody who doesn't, uh, who says not to take the vaccine should be prosecuted for federal hate crimes and blah, blah, blah. She even ran a segment about how to help teenagers to get vaccinated against the wishes of the parents. On her Instagram page, she lauded her husband for waiting eight hours in the cold for a vaccine. And on top of that, we know that NBC Universal required all its employees to be COVID jabbed to return to the office. So it's pretty safe to bet that she is up to her eyeballs in mRNA. But not even the good people at the CDC admit that the COVID shots can cause, no, that's not true. Now even the people at the CDC admit that the COVID shots can cause myocarditis. But she didn't see any reason to talk about that link. Nope, she had her own theory. 
she had a common cold. Now, I just had a common cold, which lasted four weeks and still like a little trace of it, right? I did not get myocarditis from my cold. I'm in pretty good shape, but not like her. I mean, running seven miles a day, three days a week, and eating, she's a strict vegetarian. Well, I do that. Um, all these things. She's young, 44 years old. What is, you know, why can't we talk about this? Why, why can't we ask if, you know, if it could be vaccine related? Because right away, you know, I could be charged, according to this crazy scientist, I should be charged with a hate crime if I even talk about it. You can't make this stuff up, and that's why we do not, we don't like them. We don't trust them. We're not listening to them anymore. We're not getting boosters and variant, uh, you know, uh, shots. We're not doing it because they proved that they couldn't be trusted. How about that? They could not be trusted. And, uh, you know, and then we watch a Project Veritas film, if you were lucky enough to be able to see it before it got stripped everywhere, where the Pfizer Director of Research and Development goes completely berserk when he's confronted with what he just said. I was lying. I was trying to impress a date. How do you impress a date by telling them like, hey, we were trying to like, you know, uh, do some research, which uh, if it had gone wrong, would have infected the whole world again. You know, that's, that's it. That, what kind of date are you on? First and foremost, I'm not going on a date with a, a you know, a Pfizer CEO. Just saying. You know, a director of research and development, I have my questions about Pfizer and how, how they get so rich all of a sudden and the rest of us are trying to figure out how to get past long COVID. The guy was in the movie last night, Colin Farrell. Six months sick with long COVID. You know, definitely in good shape. Doesn't see anything. I don't know his medical history, but he sure, you know, looked good in the Batman movie. Just saying, you know. But he was sick for six months with long COVID. That's why I say, you know, um, we're entitled to ask questions and we're also entitled to not believe everything we're told. If they had released the Paul Pelosi body cam footage that they released last week when it first happened, nobody would have tried guessing what really happened, right? We didn't know. All we knew was he got hit in the head with a hammer. Some guy was in his house looking for Nancy. That was it. That's all we knew. So we said, okay, well, could we hear the 911 call? Can we see the tape? And nobody was allowed. So immediately we said, oh, something's up here. There must be more to the story. We don't trust the media. We don't trust the news gathering organizations, and we don't trust the police. I may not be in the same category as you. I may trust some of them or none of them. But it's obvious to me that people are having a tough time trusting authority. And it's not just youth youth rebellions anymore. It's competent people. It's people who are not conspiracy-minded. It's people who are just sick and tired of seeing these executives get caught with their pants down, whether it's by James O'Keefe or it's uh, you know by somebody else, Glenn Greenwald. I saw an interesting piece on Glenn Greenwald over the last weekend where he was like, uh, I think it was um, 
the guy who does the media stuff, Kurtz, Howie Kurtz, is that it? Who was, uh, you know, challenging him, saying, like, you were a, a, a you know, big-time bleeding-heart liberal, and then you jump over to the conservative side. Like, what happened? And Glenn Greenwald basically said the same thing I did, only he was uh, 30 years later, or 25. Um, I didn't leave. They left me. You know, I, I can't stand by and allow the left to, you know, completely uh, ruin this country without fighting back. Uh, if it makes me more of an ally with the right, and uh, you know, oh well, it wasn't my choice. You know, I, I always describe it as I was standing around at a Democrat uh, cocktail party, and all of a sudden I looked around at the people who were in the room with me, and I realized I didn't like any of them. And I realized that they were nothing like me. And I didn't think like any of them. That they were the bigots and they were the people that they were always calling everybody else names and really they were talking about themselves. So I, I bolted. I didn't you know, end up uh, joining the Republican Party. I don't suspect Glenn Greenwald's gonna do that either. But comes a moment when you look. You know, It happened to Alex Berenson. It happened to Barry Weiss. It happened to uh, you know, uh, all of the writers at the uh, New York Post for the most part who were probably, uh, you know, just regular old uh, news liberals until they started seeing that there was so much deceit and so many um, misrepresentations of what really was happening. And there had to be a motive, right? News organizations don't just do that. Unless, of course, they're in cahoots with politicians or big pharma or big business, or Wall Street. And that's, that, you know, you can't hide that from us anymore. We all have cell phones. We all have internets. Anyway, I guess today's show is about trust, movies, which is fine. It's Monday. Anyway, I'll come back. I got some other news stories. I got to at least cursory look over and, uh, and share with you. So don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock, Dan Bongino at 4 o'clock, Ben Shapiro, 6 o'clock, WPTV News. I'll be right back. I have like really, 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 um, I, I'm just a little disturbed by the news last week that um, Amy uh, Roback and whatever, TJ something or another, I don't watch ABC and I certainly don't watch those shows that they would be on. Um, but they got canned because they were uh, caught in an affair. And the ABC sources um, have told TMZ, and of course I get the news from TMZ on the inside, that they had this like marathon mediation session last Thursday, and it was very contentious. Um, they accused Roback of uh, misconduct, and then they basically told them, you're out. And we're going to give you an exit agreement. You're going to get paid. And out you go. And if they, you know, they had to reach a deal because otherwise these two could file lawsuits against the company. I mean, Amy Roback had been there since 2012 and uh, TJ Holmes was since 2014. They both had jobs on CNN, I think. Or he did anyway. I don't know if she did. And then they started working together on Good Morning America in 2020. 
and they got suspended in November because of rumors of an extramarital affair. There were pictures of the, them together published in a British newspaper, of all things, and they were indefinitely benched by the network days later, later. And then the president of ABC News, Kim Goldwyn, said the affair was both an internal and an external distraction, um, and they wanted the staff to focus on their work and not gossip, blah, 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 cheating scandal, blah, blah, blah. And this is a couple that was pretty open about their relationship. You know, um, he had affairs before that with other ABC News employees, what I've been told, you know, I don't think that was inside information from Derek because I think Fox News reported it. But, you know, the scandal makes it very difficult on the people who remain. I don't believe that. You know, it makes it hard on, the, you know, poor Mara Lee, his wife, and, and Andrew Hsu, who, by the way, was an actor in his own right. And, uh, you know, they haven't even replaced these two. You know, when they figure out that they didn't really need them, it'll be interesting. But I have mixed feelings about that. Like, I don't care about these two individuals. But in this modern age, where, like, people just, you know, they just switch partners. Like, I change my, you know, clothes. And, and they do it quite publicly. You know, I, I can tell you, or you could tell me, we could go down a list of, media types and, and look at the, uh, the morning show on MSNBC. How come nobody objected that Scarborough and uh, his wife now, whatever her name is, I just, I block out things that are just too horrible to think about, but that, uh, you know, I know her father was Brzezinski, M Mika, Mika Brzezinski, right? They were both married when they started anchoring that show together, and before you know it, they're both not married, and then they're married to each other. I mean, they didn't get fired. I think, uh, what was it, uh, Jesse Waters got, got bigger and bigger when he dumped his wife for, like, you know, somebody who worked at Fox. You know, he didn't get fired. I don't understand why ABC took this very strong position. You know, if you wanted to say, we don't want you on Good Morning America, but you can anchor the news separately or so, I don't know. But it just seemed to me like, wow, all of a sudden ABC is like the morality police? Give me a break. Have you looked at the listing of shows that are on that network? <laughs> I somehow think they just really don't, they don't get to claim that. And, you know, what makes their uh, extramarital affair more or less scandalous than anybody else's? I just don't know. But I think, uh, I think you really, really, really have to take a step back when people who could care less about morality and promote all kinds of things like abortion and, uh, you know, uh, LGBTQ agendas and transgender, all of a sudden want to be the morality police on two people who, you know, uh, end up hurting their, their own husbands and wife and, and, you know, ending up with each other. It's not pretty, but it's real. And I don't know how that becomes grounds for uh, terminating you. I really don't. It, it doesn't seem to be true on any other network. All we ever heard about was 
this one was, uh, you know, uh, what was the guy, Charles somebody, who had been on a network for a million years, gets fired because of inappropriate comments to people, you know, and, and that I, I just think that they are very weak standing to be the morality police, all of these networks, very, very weak. And then I didn't get to talk about how, you know, uh, we're on the verge of a World War III. And I don't talk about it because it's so stressful for me. It's one of those stories that I'm running, I'm, I'm, I'm working as hard as I can to avoid. So apparently somebody decided to ask Alexa about it. And I mean, I'm not the only person seeing this. Um, a viral video that I guess started on TikTok, so now we don't know if it's worth trusting, but anyway, it, it was asked the question about the end of the world, and its answer was, World War III starts on November 23rd, 2023 at 6.05 p.m. when Russia launches an attack against Germany. That's a lot of detail. I, I mean, it's probably a trick. You know, this guy that they are tracing it back to posts a lot of spoof, a lot of spoof Alexa responses. But I don't know about the rest of you. This one's at least uh, somewhat plausible. I'm just saying, you know, I'm watching these headlines and I'm concerned, you know, Zelensky's in tears, Putin's mobilizing 200,000 more troops, we're sending uh, equipment, others are sending equipment, and Nikki Haley said you don't have to be 80 to lead. I'm going to talk about uh, Donald Trump's weekend because I haven't seen it all. I watched some of it. I want to finish watching it. It just, I love it. Maybe it's just me, but I, I just love his, uh, his campaign rallies, and that's where we're at. He's back in campaign mode, and I'm going to watch the remainder of them uh, in the next 48 hours and talk about them, but I can tell you this right now. Um, I'm not supporting Nikki Haley, you know, and you know, his big challenge is going to be Ron DeSantis. Well, okay. Okay. I, you know, uh, just saying, taking on the Donald takes more than a good idea. Anyway, I thank you for your time this time until next time. And my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon. That's if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us. Those are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. And go see the movie Banshee of the Inishiran and tell me if I'm crazy or if you didn't enjoy this very dull and glum film. Um, God bless you and God bless the USA. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.